0: If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 14, uh, but I'm actually going to start at last verse of chapter 8 uh, just to help us make sense of why Paul is talking about the laborer is worth his wage. Uh, this is something in the middle of a larger uh, diatribe of teaching that Paul is doing. I don't want you to forget that, but let's pray and we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, you are good. Father, thank you for this morning already. Thank you for the worship. Father, thank you for the hearts of your people for you. It is encouraging. It's encouraging. And it's, it's why you tell us not to, not to forsake gathering together. It's an encouraging thing in the world we live in to come together with other people who love Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for the encouragement this morning. Thank you for the worship this morning. Thank you for your presence being with us. We are in desperate need of you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming all the way to us. Thank you that even though we're not worthy, you love, care, save, and redeem us. Jesus, we love you. And it is in your name we pray these things. And every Christian said, Amen. Amen. Chapter 8, we've been, we've been talking about a lot of stuff in Corinthians. We're in this part now where they had certain questions and Paul is answering the questions that they have. And there's a question they have. Well, what about the meat? sacrificed the idols of these pagan temples. Is that meat we can eat or is that meat we cannot eat? And they have two different opinions within the church. Imagine that, a church having two different opinions about one issue. But this is a disputable issue. This is not black and white like sexual immorality is. So we've got to think through, and there are situations. We showed you a slide last week. There were a couple situations where Paul said, of course it's okay to eat the meat. But there were also a couple other situations where Paul says, in in these circumstances, don't do it. Think about your brothers uh, before your own rights. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, we could, we could uh, title this section of Corinthians the end of entitlement. Wouldn't you love to hear a president say that? The end of entitlement. There are times we need to think about others instead of our own rights. And this is the point. This is why Paul now goes into his rights. Now, we kind of cut this up Weird. So this sermon may be a little wonky. These first 14 verses are all about Paul's argument, five-tiered argument for his right to be paid as a minister of the gospel. And that's where we're going to end it, verse 14. (laughs) Next week we're going to talk about how he lays down those rights at times for the sake of others that he may reach more for Christ. But just remember chapter 8 begins, can we eat the meat? And there are people that have knowledge and there are people who are making arguments for being able to eat the meat and emphasizing their rights in eating that meat over the preferences of their brothers, over the the weaker consciences of their brothers. They say things like uh, in verse one, all of us possess knowledge. This is how they write to Paul. We possess knowledge. There's some things that we get and we understand and we have certain inalienable rights from this knowledge that we possess. Verse four talks about that knowledge that they have. An idol has no real existence. There is only one God. All these other gods aren't real. We know this, we have this knowledge. If you look down at verse seven, Paul says, however, not all possess this knowledge. You know, my parents drilled into me when I was a kid, Bible verses. And I still remember them. In fact, I got a stack of Bible verses. Sarah gets flabbergasted sometimes because we'll go through them and, and I can remember all of them even though I memorized them decades, decades ago. One of the verses my mom and dad put into me was Matthew 7, 7. It's a real famous one, right? Every, everybody knows exactly what it is. No, but it says this. Jesus speaking, he says, ask and it shall be given you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open un to you, uh, And the point Jesus is making, when you seek me, you're going to find me as your heart, like a deer, pants for the uh, for water. Uh, so you will find me when you seek after me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen? When we seek for something, we find it. But this doesn't just work for spirituality. It doesn't just work for finding Jesus. It works in all my areas and all matters of uh, of mental faculty. Secular people seek what they want, and guess what? They find it too. When we're talking about knowledge, we have to be very careful because why? Knowledge puffs up. Let me ask you a question just because our Father's Day response was a little weird this morning until we set some things straight. But it's got my mind kind of working here. What good do you think a gender studies degree is going to do for a young person? Have you ever thought about it? Because it's a whether you like it or not, it's a thing. People are coming out with degrees. In, I don't know who's hiring them, but it's a thing. We're not going to hire anybody with a gender studies degree at four points. I can tell you that. I got enough problems. I don't need a DEI (laughs) CEO. Too many, too many letters. (laughs) What good do you think? Do you think at any time in when people come together? I mean, a major is what a major is like sixty hours, right? If you're majoring in gender studies, sixty hours of people trying to find something to say about gender. If you seek. You're going to find, let me ask you a question, do you think anything, do you think they sit in gender studies classes and talk about the times women were celebrated in history? Do they talk about Cleopatra and and other uh, leading female uh, people in history? No, what do they talk about instead? They talk about, they, they, they cherry pick. This is why we, we don't go to churches that cherry pick the Bible because you can cherry pick anything, right? You can build a case for anything. If you seek, you will find. So, so we talk about all the injustice that has been done in history, in gender studies. They probably start with Joan of Arc and it gets worse from there. Men bad, men bad, men bad, men bad, men bad. And so we've got a, uh, you seek and you find. We got a culture of men who don't want to be men. Trans wouldn't even be an issue. Praise God. There were more people protesting the LA Dodgers than there were inside celebrating the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Amen. Praise God. We can do without the LA Dodgers. Just like there can't be any Bud Light in your sweet tea glass. <laughs> I was in Publix two days ago and the Anheuser-Busch guy was, was uh, he just looked so sad. $27 billion. Praise God we have a voice. Praise God Target. 7% down. Their stock's 7% down. Praise God Every study that's come out the last couple weeks are showing that the majority of America, Democrat or Republican, the majority of America believes there are only two genders, male and female. majority of Americans believe men shouldn't be able to compete in women's sports. Common sense. But if you seek, you find. So if you want an alternative ideology, it's out there. What do I tell you all the time about Christian bookstores? And please, find a crossway, uh, 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 what's the banner of truth? There's some good Christian bookstores out there. Don't go to Barnes & Noble to get your Christian books. Because everything they have laid out is, every time I go in there, I just, I can't believe how much we've lost. Because no one is seeking true knowledge, truth that comes from the mouth of God. People are, even Christians are seeking things in which they want to believe. And this is the problem because I've told you before, you can find an author, a human author that it's going to tell you exactly what you want to hear. That's why we have books called The Gay Christian. There's no such thing. There is The Repentant Christian There are people who can struggle, but know it's wrong because God says it wrong, and so they're repentant and they're struggling. There's the repentant Christian, but there's no such thing as the alcoholic Christian, the gay Christian, the pedophile Christian. There's no such thing. There's knowledge, but knowledge puffs up. It is love that builds up. Paul says, look at verse 13, where I told you we were going to start. You got me worked up this morning. I'm just so over it. I'm so over. I'm sad. And I'm not angry. I'm sad. I'm just sad when I watch people, when I watch the pundits and the experts, who talk like experts but have no real knowledge because they're seeking knowledge in the wrong places and they're finding it. And it's up to us. Put, put up that uh, decision tree from Paul. It's up to us not only to know but to flesh out. This is why Paul is going to talk about his rights through 14 verses today, because he wants people to know that this is who I can be, this is who I should be. But you know what? Sometimes I lay that down, not all the time, but sometimes I lay it down for the sake of others to show them that what I say is true. Look at verse 13, let's we'll just leave that up. Therefore, if food, we're talking about idle meat, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never, it's not even an option for me. If it makes my brother stumble, if it hurts my brother, then I, I'm, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Love is everything, it's better. So this is the decision tree. Now notice, notice in this, Does the Bible allow it? There are some things that are not disputable matters. Please, as we're going through chapter 9, as we're going through chapter 10, please don't lump together this love that we have for others with anything that is not a disputable matter. There are some things that are black and white. Sexual immorality is one of them. All of chapter 6 and in in chapter 7, God is clear, uh, male, female, the boundaries of human sexuality. He's clear. Does the Bible allow it? If the answer is no, don't do it. That's not what we're talking about in this. What about meat from the temple? Can we eat it? Some say yes, some say no. Disputable matters. Does the Bible allow it? If the answer is no, don't do it. If yes, you got to go to the second frame of decision making, which is your own conscience. Does my conscience allow it? Listen, there have been times I have been... God convicts me over the stupidest stuff sometimes. When I was a, a youth pastor, when I was doing what uh, Scott Valliani's doing uh, in the back... I was drinking seven cups of coffee a day and a couple Red Bulls. Red Bull had just come out, and man, I was into it. There was a couple years where I didn't feel like I could preach unless I had drank a Red Bull first. And guess what? Red Bull's not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We need the Holy Spirit, not Red Bull. But seriously, I was drinking coffee. I mean, I'm walking around. Hey, let's go. Woo! Yeah! Who needs meth or cocaine? I got coffee. Red Bull. Taurine and caffeine. Woo. I, and God did what he should do. He convicted me. So there was a couple years I didn't drink caffeine at all—not Coke's, not coffee, not Red Bulls, anything—and because, because God had uh, put it on my conscience, I felt ba- I felt like I was overdoing it; that I wasn't self-controlled uh, in my caffeine intake, and it was affecting me physically. So He convicted me, and I stopped. But praise God, that conviction in my conscience eased up over time and I realized if I can be self-controlled and act like an adult, I can enjoy two cups of coffee a day. So the conscience can be binding in some places but you can be free from it as you grow in the gospel and grow. Uh, secular music's a great example. R rated movies. Man, when I got saved, I got rid of my movie collection. I burned all my CDs and the big 55 barrel drum that the youth pastor said let's give to Satan what Satan's. <laughs> and for a long time, I just believed it was wrong to do that. Look, if your conscience says it's wrong, then you shouldn't do it. I think Martin Luther is is a great example of a Christian man who says when he stood there at the diet of the diet of worms worms its weird pronunciation but he said You know, I can do nothing but stand here. It's all I can do because I am bound by Scripture and I am bound by conscience. I will not uh, recant the gospel that is by faith through Christ alone, grace through faith in Christ alone. We're going to go through the five solas in July. I can't wait for that. Scripture and conscience this is how we make decisions. And so while you may not watch R-rated movies except for The Passion <laughs> and somebody else is watching a lot of R-rated movies right we're not going to fight about that you don't have don't watch them to get don't invite your friend who doesn't think they can based on their conscience there's not a bible verse about it but based on their conscience if they can't don't invite them over to watch Braveheart which is rated R <laughs> and it should be there's a lot of blood Then we go into the three further questions. What is the effect on other Christians? What is the effect on non-Christians? What is the effect of my spiritual life? The big idea in all of this, and just keep this in your mind as we talk about Paul and his rights, the big idea in all of this, Paul is saying is, I will do whatever it takes. I will lay down my rights, and you should too, that we may win more. People need Jesus. Weak brothers and sisters need to grow up in the gospel. It's our job to help. Unbelievers need the gospel. They need Jesus. We, it's our responsibility in this generation. The last generation, there were people the church was responsible for, but that's come and gone. We can't change the past. All we can do is set our faces like flint, like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did, toward the cross, picking up our cross, denying ourselves to follow him that people may see him and know him through our lives, through our church. Man, the return of evangelism is here, amen? People need Jesus which is why we don't hate people. We're going to talk about what's true, but we don't hate gay people. We don't hate trans people. We don't hate alcoholics. We don't hate the sexually immoral. We love them, which is why we stick to the Bible, and our lives should show that. Amen? Are you ready to get into chapter 9? Sermon starting. Paul begins with four rhetorical questions each of these questions is meant to be answered yes in the positive affirmative paul is making a point and asking questions that have obvious answers in the affirmative now remember verse 13 of chapter 8, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat. Just flip over to chapter 11, verse 1, real quick. We did this last week, but remember, this is the point of it all. Paul is going to build a case for his rights. That in verses 15 forward, he's going to uh, show that he lays down. And then the whole point of this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. By the way, this is what Christ did. He was God in flesh, but he didn't sit on a throne. He was born in a manger. He hung out with fishermen and, and blue-collar people. He didn't take himself. He, did, he didn't uh, elevate himself. He gave everything he had. Paul says, that's what I'm trying to do too, that more people can see Jesus. Right? It's the wisdom of God from chapters 1, 2, and 3. Versus the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man puffs up, builds up, elevates himself. The wisdom of God gives everything away. That's why we plant churches here. You know, people people cannot understand. Even Christian churches and groups, they're like, so how how does this campus thing work? (laughs) They just don't get it because... What do What does a man never give away? Money and influence. What do we do with money and influence? We hoard for ourselves. That's what the human heart does. But the wisdom of God doesn't hoard anything for himself. He gives everything away, which is what we want to replicate, the heart of God, because people need Jesus. Amen. Altruism is a word we need to put back in the human vocabulary in America. It's not just about bigger and better. It's about raising up love, building up and sharing that gospel and sending that gospel out, regardless what it costs us. "Am I not free?" Paul says. First question. I'm a free man no chains on me, nobody owns me. I am free. Am I not an apostle? Look look back at uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. It's how he begins every letter that he writes. Am I not called by God to do this ministry, to do this work. I am, the word apostle means sent one. Have I not been sent by Christ to do this? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And this is important. We're going to talk about apostleship in a minute because we've got time to do so because I don't want to just talk about how why pastors should be paid today. <laughs> But Paul is an apostle. Why? Because he has seen the The guys who were capital A apostles are this first generation who were discipled, followed, heard, and watched Jesus in physical flesh. It is their eyewitness accounts, it is their recollection of the things Jesus taught them that became the New Testament. And Paul is one of them. He has seen the risen Christ and been taught by Jesus himself. It's why nobody today, now you may, if you pick up a Charisma magazine, there may be apostle, bishop, prophet, so-and-so in there that says what he says is just as important as the Bible, but it's not true. Only the guys who were there and experienced it got to write the Bible, and the canon has been closed since John in his 90s died as he was the last to receive that great revelation of Christ. The book of Revelation. Last book written in the New Testament canon. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? He, he wraps it up with verse 2. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Look, you guys, I planted the church there. If anybody should know. And, and listen... In our, in our day and age of cancel culture, nothing is new under the sun. You know Solomon said that. The wisest man until Jesus was born. Solomon said that. A man who had amassed more wealth than anybody before him. Solomon said that. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing new under the sun. Cancel culture has always been around. We just have it. it hasn't been uh, shoved down our throats as much as it has the last ten years. Paul was the first person out of the apostles to be canceled. Paul was stoned, beaten, whipped, left for dead, shipwrecked and adrift at sea. People hated Paul's guts. Everywhere Paul goes, people get saved. But everywhere Paul goes, riots happen at the same time. And Jesus said this, the world, listen, if everybody likes us, if everybody you're friends with on Facebook is always doing thumbs up, you've probably compromised the truth. (laughs) Because the truth is black and white. The truth is a dividing line. And people hated Jesus, so they hate people that proclaim Jesus and His truth. Paul, everywhere he went, even people who claimed to be Christians tried to steal audiences from right. There's divisions about who's the leader of the church in chapters uh, two, uh, chapter one through f- chapter four. There are people who don't like Paul in this church that Paul planted. So Paul asked some questions. You have knowledge, I hear you say. So you can do whatever you want. Knowledge gives you these rights. You can do and live however you want. And nobody should say, meh. Nah, because you know. Well, let me ask you some questions about me. Paul gets very personal in chapter 9. And it's important to be personal. Paul wants them to see the same arguments they're using. In his own life, if he used those same marks, because he could. Right? Justification is a, it's a powerful thing in our lives, isn't it? We really do have rights. So Paul's building the case. Look, you have rights, I hear you. I have rights too. Look at my life. Then moving to verse 3. Now watch this, put up those five tiers of this argument. Oh, we didn't talk about apostleship, never mind. Let's talk about Paul and his being an apostle because this is an awesome story and it also helps us understand how apostleship ended with the last of these disciples who followed Jesus. Acts chapter one, verse 20. Let's look real quick. How do we know that we can't be apostles today. We're going to talk about the gift of apostleship a little later. There is a gifting. God's still sending people, amen. But not capital A apostles who get to write the Bible. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Now this is, Jesus has just ascended. The disciples are left there going, oh, what do we do now? Judas was no longer part of the 12. So they're like, we've got to replace Judas. Judas. Because it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. Judas had to be replaced. Verse 21... So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Who are we going to choose from to take the office of Judas? It's got to be somebody who's been here the whole time. It's got to be somebody that knew Jesus, that loved Jesus, that followed Jesus, that heard Jesus, that was taught by Jesus. And they chose uh, Matthias. Uh, over the other guy there in Acts chapter one. So here's the apostles got to be replaced with the disciple. The twelve became the apostles, and Judas had to be replaced by someone who was had been there and seen Jesus. Now look at Acts chapter nine. We have Paul's story. Acts chapter nine, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way. Those were Christians. It was called the way. The way of Christ. Men or women. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we meet Saul in chapter 9 of Acts. And he's not a good guy. He hates Jesus. He hates Christian. He's a Jew, a Pharisee trained by Gamaliel, And he is hard in the ways of his Judaism. And he hates anything that would set itself up against his Judaism. Verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. I love this. This is where Saul gets his name changed because he meets Jesus. And Jesus drop kicks him off his horse. Saul, Saul. Again, where is Saul going? To persecute Christians. Jesus takes it personally. Why are you persecuting me? Verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul meets. He didn't follow Jesus for three years, but he was certainly around and he hated Jesus, which is why even though Jesus has gone, been crucified by the Romans at the request of the Jews, he still hates those who follow Jesus, but he gets to meet resurrected Jesus in resurrected power and glory in chapter nine, which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this. by the way, I can't wait till we get to chapter 15. This is just gospel power. For I delivered to you, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's not making up this gospel. This is not Paul's thing. This is not what Paul came up with. He received, he is only doing what he has received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, uh, then to the 12, that's the rest of the guys, uh, and then to more than 500 brothers at one time. Resurrected Jesus was showing up uh, in the ancient uh, church in the first century to prove that he had conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, uh, that our salvation was secure when we put our faith in him, most of whom are still alive. The Bible wasn't written hundreds of years after. It was written in the time these eyewitnesses lived. Paul's saying, look, if you don't believe me, go ask anybody. Lots of people saw him. They're still alive. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, and that's his brother. And then to all the apostles. Then, last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. Paul was the last of all. you. Know, Matthias, the new the new one that entered the twelve. There were other uh, apostles that had been there, seen Jesus, uh, that that were sent out proclaiming this this new gospel to a world in desperate need. But Paul says, and then to one unti- as one untimely born, it should have been over. It should have ended with the other guys. But then Jesus Christ came even to me and called me. And we know that Jesus taught in the wilderness of Arabia, resurrected Jesus, taught Paul, gave Paul visions. Paul had been caught up into the throne room of God. Jesus showed and taught Paul everything that he was teaching these churches. Look at Galatians chapter Uh, 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul is a capital A apostle. And it ended... In his lifetime, Apostleship, capital A Apostleship. We know now that the leaders of a church, Philippians 1.1. Paul, and I didn't give you this, but just write it down in your notes. In the church, there are saints, there are elders, and there are... The apostles aren't greeted because the apostles ended at the last breath of these men who were taught by the living Jesus. This is important. Brent, why did you spend... 10 minutes going through that because there are a bunch of liars out there who want you to think that their opinions have the same weight as Scripture and they do not because they were not physically taught by the living, resurrected Jesus. What we have now is His Word through those men that is our faith and only this is true. We must, this is of highest authority in our lives because it comes straight from Jesus himself. We cannot turn to the left or the right of it. If we do, we will be deceived. Jesus from Exodus forward continues. Don't turn to the left, not even a little bit. Stick to what God has said through his apostles. His prophets in the Old Testament. His apostles in the New Testament. They got to write the book. That is God's word to us. Now, now put up the slide. (laughs) Let's look at the five tiers of this argument. Paul is arguing for his right. You have knowledge. You have rights. I get it. I have knowledge and I have rights too. And this is the level of of this argument. We're going to see in verses 4 through 7 ordinary practice we're going to see in uh, verses 8 through 10 Paul's appeal from the law of God the law of Moses itself the Torah as he quotes from Deuteronomy we're going to see in verses 11 12 an argument from common sense it's just boys shouldn't compete on girls teams it's just common sense He's going to appeal from religious custom. This is the way the priesthood has always been. Then he's going to appeal from the teaching of Jesus himself. Let's look. Let's read 4 through seven first. first. Oh, well, verse 3. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Peter, the apostle Peter? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock Without getting some of the milk. Now here's what we know from Acts about Paul and his planning the Corinthian church. And we got to understand some cultural issues here. Because did Paul take money from other churches that he planted? Yes, he did. In 1 uh, Timothy, uh, he tells Timothy, hey, the pastors there that preach and teach well, pay them double what you pay the other guys who don't do it as well. Take care of those guys. Paul was all about people getting paid for the work that they did. But in Corinth, Paul didn't take anything from the church. And there's a reason for that. When he went to Corinth, remember he met Priscilla and Aquila and they were tent makers. And he was a tanner by trade. So he knew all about making tents from the the hides of animals. And so he joined them and he worked a job instead of taking money from the the converts that believed his message and became the church in Corinth. And what's the reason? Remember the city of Corinth itself. Pagan to the core, lots of temples, temple of Aphrodite, all the prostitutes. And in this new city, remember the city's only been around 60, 70 years since the Romans rebuilt it. They've got no tradition. They've got no history. Everything is new. It's got a port on each side of it. So it's very wealthy, lots of money. And the wealthy people of Corinth loved to patronize great orators and teachers. They loved to to say, I'm a patron of so-and-so. The great teachers aligned themselves and put those great teachers in their pocket. And Paul knew the culture of Corinth was this way. And Paul said, look, I'm not a sellout and I'm not in anybody's pocket. I belong to Jesus and to no one else. This is the way he could keep his message pure to the Corinthians and not get entangled in in the financial webs that existed in the city. Paul didn't take $5 million as a bribe. I can't believe I said that. That was not planned. <laughs> this is why Paul didn't take any money. But it was his right he could have if he had wanted to. And he, this first argument is from, from a, a, what, how did I say it on there? from ordinary experience, from cultural experience. Does a soldier work at his own expense? Does a soldier have to find another job so he can go out and soldier? Does does a farmer not have the right out of all the the toil and sweat and work, does he not have the right to eat some of the produce of his field? Uh, And listen, this really gives us insight into Paul's understanding of ministry. He sees ministry the same way a soldier sees his orders. He sees ministry the same way, right? It takes planting. It takes sweat of the brow. It takes watering and and growing and nurturing, which is why he mentions the shepherd next. Ministry is work. Do I not? is, Is Peter the only one? Why does he mention take a wife? Because it's more expensive to travel with lots more people. Is Peter the only one who can take money from the church so he and his wife can can travel? Do do I not have that same right? Ordinary experience. Paul is building his case for his rights. Verses 8, 9, and 10. Let's read. Do I say these things? On human authority, does not the law say the same? So ordinary experience, now he goes to the Old Testament, to the law. Because the Jews that got saved in the church of Corinth cannot go against the law. They've been raised in it. It's, it's the, It was their highest authority before the, the New Testament, the new covenant that had come in Christ. So they trusted the law. So Paul builds this case now from the law. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 4. He says, does the law not say the same? Verse 9, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. It is for oxen. that is it for oxen that God is concerned? You got to love the tongue in cheek humor, little jabs that Paul throws in there. The law says don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. What that means is as the ox is working the plow, if he wants to, uh, to go down and, and to eat some of the grain as he's pulling the plow, let the ox do that. Now, is God concerned about the ox, Paul says? <laughs> no, no. Martin Luther has the best uh, quip in his uh, his commentary. His commentary on 1 Corinthians, he says, "Of course this is not for the ox because ox can't read." <laughs> <laughs> you got to love it. You know, most of these high theology guys, they have a good sense of humor. I just love that about uh, the kind of guys that God uses. Paul has a great sense of humor. Is it for the ox that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. Nobody works for nothing. Everybody's working for something. God made us to work and we get to enjoy the fruits of that work that we put our hands to. And listen, Many of you have heard this. I can't remember the last time we preached this, but it wasn't that long ago. We talked about the theology of work. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to work the garden before sin, before death came into the world. Work was a part of human existence. It gave uh, Adam and Eve purpose for their lives as work should give all of us Purpose, Whether ministry or some other type of job, work has purpose. And we should eat of the fruits of our work. So ordinary practice, now an argument from the law. Let's move to 11 and 12. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So Paul now talks about the, the, the plow of ministry, the, the, the sacrifices that he made to plant that church for them to be there, the seal of his apostleship. Right, you pay the farmer for the fruit you eat from his vineyard. You pay the uh, the, the teacher uh, across the street to teach you and teach your kids. You you pay uh, uh, the the tailor for your clothes. So if we're sowing spiritual things, do, do, are we the only ones that shouldn't be paid for the work that that we're doing in your lives? Just everybody, real quick. It's okay to pay the pastor. It's, it's okay to pay the pastor. Uh, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul did not use these rights and we'll expound on this much more next week. Paul did not take use of this right in Corinth. He did in Macedonia. He did in Colossae. He did everywhere else, but he didn't in Corinth. Why? Because he thought it might be a barrier to the gospel proclamation of that one city. And that's why he refrained, just like they should refrain from meat in certain situations. Yes, you have the right. Yes, you can do what you want. Yes, you have knowledge. Yes, it's perfectly okay to eat the meat. But man, think about your brother first we didn't take the right that we have indubitably undoubtedly it's our right to be paid from the work we do but we didn't take it why because the gospel matters more jesus matters more I will do anything. I will give up any right that I have. And Paul gave up a lot of different rights that he had at different times in different contexts, just like we should for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of winning more. Because Jesus, man, God made everything perfect. God made a world where there was no sin and there was no death. So what's the problem? We screwed everything up. It was our sin that brought uh, death into the world for the wages of sin is death. And the only thing that can cover sin, something has to die. So God, we couldn't get to him. When we die, we die in our sins. A sacrifice had to be made for anyone to be saved. So God came all the way to us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. God died in our place for our sin, the perfect laying down his life for the imperfect. You know, people say all the time to me, you know, why doesn't, you know, how can God send anybody to hell? I just, I've never wrestled with that question because I have a TV and I see people all over the world in every nation and every culture and they all deserve hell. Just like I do. My question has never been, God, why do you send people to hell? I understand why he sends people to hell. He's holy, perfect, righteous God. He can't, what, what, uh, how, how, what relationship does light have with darkness? He can't, he can't fathom darkness. He can't stand darkness. He is light. And listen, I can't wait for the day when we really realize how righteous he is, right? There is our understanding of righteousness, just secular human understanding, it's way down here. Then there's a theological, when we read the Bible, we, we understand a the theological righteousness, right? We move from here to here, but guess what? Here is still not as righteous as he is. When we see him for who he is, our theological level of understanding righteousness is going to blow the top of the thermometer out. He is holy and he is righteous. He's he's not going to put up with sin. He can't. The question I've always asked is, why would God save any of us? I mean, we're so wicked. We're so evil. We're so not righteous. Why would he save any of us? But he does. His son, Jesus, died in our place for our sin. That we might become, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5 17. God is good, and it is this gospel. Paul says, I will lay down any right that I have at any time. Doesn't matter my knowledge, doesn't matter how strong the argument is for my right, I'll gladly lay it down to reach more people with this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm so glad he saved me. because I don't deserve it. Neither do you. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Let's get these last two verses in. I really thought I was not going to take all the time, but oh well. I always do. Every, every Sunday I think I'm not going to take all the time, and I always do. Verse 13. Two more tears of this argument. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? Do you not know how the priesthood, and not just the Jewish priesthood, the priesthood of Aphrodite, the priesthood of all the temples in Corinth, don't those priests live off the the meat and the food uh, that is in their temples? They live off the worship of the people who come. This is just the way religious experience worked. Not just common experience, but even religious experience in the ancient world. This is a no-brainer. Paul has these rights. Verse 14, last one. In the same way, the Lord, that's Jesus, commanded Matthew 10.10, Luke 10.7, the laborer deserves his wage. This is the commandment of the Lord himself. So, big idea. Paul has knowledge, just like they have knowledge. They've got their argument for why they have their rights and they can do what they want. Paul says, man, I got knowledge too. And I've got rights too. And in five levels of argumentation, Paul clearly... Lays down. Nobody can have an argument against this. Paul went from every little sphere of society and and, and mental faculty to show that he has rights just like they have rights. Logical argumentation, which Paul is known for. Read the book of Romans. Paul is logical in laying down his rights. But then, to teach the Corinthians... Humility and love for others is better than our knowledge and better than our rights. Put up that decision tree again. Does the Bible allow it? If no, don't do it. If yes, what's your conscience say? If your conscience says no, don't do it. But if yes, then move on to... What's this going to do to the person sitting next to me? Whether they're Christian or not a Christian, is it going to make much of, is it going to help you reach them with the gospel? This is the way Christians should think like Paul. We have our knowledge and we have our rights, but there are some situations where we let gladly, gladly lay down those rights to help others see this beautiful Savior who has delivered us, from our sin. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is still a day in our country where we celebrate fathers. Lord Jesus, may they have a great day with their families. May they be loved on by their spouses and by their kids. Lord Jesus, may we take to heart your word as we leave this place. Help us to find ways to lay down our rights for the benefit of others knowing you. Make us a humble, grateful, non-self-absorbed people of God. In Jesus' name, every Christian said, Amen. amen.